Yeah, I know you talk a lot about successful mindset and, um, you know, the, the principles of success. And so I think one place that would really work for that, that theme is talking about how, for me, actually it was, so I was diagnosed as off the charts ADHD. So for me to be able to become focused and actually turn that weakness into a strength, there's a whole story and, and process behind that as well. Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Hello, everybody. David Nagel. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Mind Podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest, Mr. Dave Crenshaw. Dave, how are you? Good. I'm doing great, David. Thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure. It's an honor to have you here. Um, you've written a, an amazing book, The Myth of Multitasking. It's become a, a bestseller. And uh, you have quite a, a, an interesting story about the expertise that you do. Why don't you first off tell everybody, tell the audience, what is your expertise? What do you help people really do? Sure. So I say that my focus is productive leadership. So what that means is that I am helping people not only be productive on an individual level, but helping leaders, organizations help others grow, help others become leaders and be as productive as they possibly can. Okay. Uh, and so, and the method that I do that through mostly these days is through online learning, in particular LinkedIn learning. I've got uh, over 30 courses on there. Uh, and I also do some, some consulting and coaching as, uh, as part of that. And you've got like tens of millions of downloads on LinkedIn learning. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 That's, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Um, one of the questions that I like to to go to with my guests is, how did you get involved in this? Like, what was your journey that led you up to this? Yeah, it, it definitely is an unusual path for someone focused on productivity. Uh, I mean, you can see my, this isn't a backdrop. This is my actual office right here. You can see how nice it used to, it looks like now, but that's nothing like what it used to look like. Um, I, you know, you had to use a shovel to get from the door to the desk on top of that, I was having career chaos, just jumping from, from job to job, from career to career all over the place. And so a, a huge turning point in my life was when I heard two words uh, from my wife. And those two words were, I'm pregnant. And, when, <laughs> you know, you, you, wanna, you want someone to sober up really quickly and, and pay attention. You say those two words to them. And I, and so I felt responsibility for this life coming into the world. And so what I, I I was concerned about a pattern of behavior that I saw in my dad who never broke that pattern that I was describing was always chaotic, always disorganized, always jumping around from job to job. And so I went and sought out the help of a psychologist. He gave me a couple of tests. And at the end of those two tests, he said, you know, has anyone ever talked to you about ADHD? You're freaking off the charts, ADHD. And uh, it, it was really interesting because at that point I my training, my background was in business consulting, uh, systems development, especially right. for entrepreneurs, small businesses. So I leaned on that training of systems, of looking at things as a process and created a system first to help myself be as organized as possible. And then that sort of led me to teaching it to others. And, you know, that was, that was 20 years ago. Here, here we are now. Wow. That's a long time. Um, 
did was it was it was it hard to make that transition to get yourself to a place where you would follow, actually follow a process even yeah well it was hard and it was particularly hard because the resources available at the time did were not suited to my needs and honestly they weren't suited to the needs of of my clients entrepreneurs at the time because I was one of the most inherently chaotic, busy people in the world. I was dealing with people like that. And most of the time management programs that you listen to, that you read, they've got great stuff in them. Don't get me wrong. I was inspired by Covey growing up, right? Yeah. He actually kind of, I grew up in, in Orm, Utah, which is right in the backyard of Provo where, where he lived. Um, but, but all of these trainings are built by people who are perfect or are close <laughs> to perfect. And they're designed for people who can think in complexities and slow down things enough to get organized. What I had to do was I had to take all this material and simplify it radically and make it so that rather than 20 steps, we've got three steps, that kind of thing. And so I just kept pairing off and pairing off and shaving away what wasn't essential and then adding my own experiences and then that's what led me to, to create a program. Honestly, people, when they go through it and they follow it, they get an entire extra work week every single month. Seriously? Yeah, 40 hours per month on average. Okay, all right. So let's get into that. What is it that you do that helps people become so much more productive and free up so much time? Because that's a significant amount of time. I mean, yeah. I work with business owners all day long, and I'll tell you that's the, one of the number one things is they're always like, I need a calendar stretcher, man. I need more time. Yeah, and, and I, li I like to think of it as it's the number two problem they have. Number one, everybody wants more sales, right? Number two, everybody wants more time. And so my approach was to tackle issue number two because if you can solve number two, it makes it easier to solve uh, the first issue of getting more sales. Sure. So what uh, what I did was I started, um, well, this, this ties back to the book, which is we're solving one problem. If we can solve this one problem, we're going to get a lot of time. And that one problem are switches of attention, meaning I'm working on something, something switches my attention away, whether it was my own thoughts or someone or something else. And then I, I look at it, I look, I, you know, I, I do the classic squirrel, right? I chase yeah. it, and then I have to regain my attention. There, there was a study uh, back when the first edition of the Myth of Multitasking came out uh, by Basex Research, and they found that the average person or knowledge worker loses 28% of their day due to interruptions and the recovery time associated with those interruptions. That is one work week every single year. And I've found since then, that number's only increased. It's, it's probably in the neighborhood of 35% of lost time. So if we can re reduce how many times your attention switches from one thing to something else, we're just naturally going to get a lot of free time back. And I, I know when I, when I say that number, it seems crazy, but I, I've literally had experiences where someone will go through my training and then they'll call me up a week later and go, Dave, I thought you were insane when you told me that. It's three o'clock. I don't know what to do with myself. Okay, so let let's let me ask you about these numbers first. You said that the research showed twenty eight percent. You think it's between twenty eight and thirty five, correct? Is that right? I'm sorry. I, you, you said that you said the research second. showed twenty eight percent, and you think it's between twenty eight and thirty five, correct? I think it's I think it's closer to thirty five now. Closer to thirty five was a number that came out of uh, you know like around two thousand seven. 
How much of this doesn't conduct that study anymore, but just based on my field experience, it's just gotten worse and worse because of the proliferation of different ways that we can communicate with each other. Okay. So, so that, that was part of my question. So how much of it is actually people that have ADHD versus technology being in our face consistently or a combination of both? Yeah, it's much more the latter. It's much more technology. Um, And here's why statistically speaking, I mean, it depends on who you're looking at around four to 8% of the populations dealing with something like ADHD. Um, there have been studies that show that entrepreneurs as a group are statistically more likely to have it. So more around 10 to 12%. Um, but honestly, most people have what I call not ADHD, but SAS, which is short attention span syndrome. And that's a learned behavior. That's something we do to ourselves when we condition ourselves to pick up the phone constantly and touch it and do things like, you know, the Microsoft study that shows that on average people switch applications 566 times per day. If even if you don't have the genetic predisposition to ADHD, you're going to start behaving like you have it simply because you're getting your brain in this mode of, I have to constantly be stimulated. And that's so from the from a brain perspective, that's completely reactive. Yes, I would assume I would assume that it is right. So we're being signaled by something external, an app, a Skype, you know, whatever. And we're reacting to those things just like like impulsively. It, it, well, there are actually two sides to it. There are passive switches, like you described, where something external is interrupting us, but there are also the active switches where we're interrupting ourselves. Oh. For example, I might be listening to this podcast and I have a great idea pop into my head. What do I do with that idea? We don't want to lose it. We want to respect the value of it. The question is, what? how big of an impact does that switch have on you, the listener, losing the train of thought for a few moments? And so you also want to have a system to deal with the things that you're doing to yourself. You know, here's a common one that I struggle with. I'll be watching a show on Netflix and I'll see somebody, I'll see some actor. I'll go, I've seen that guy somewhere before, right? So what do I do? I, the tendency is I want to pick up my phone and type in IMDB and try and find this guy. Well, you know, this, granted, this isn't an important thing, but it illustrates the fact that for several minutes, I lost the enjoyment of interacting with that show. When we do that in a workplace situation, we're going to create more mistakes, things are gonna take longer, and we're gonna stress ourselves out. Yeah, I mean, when you're doing that, you're completely, I mean, you may hear the dialogue, but you're not really listening to the dialogue. So I would imagine in in a work environment, uh, there could be a lot of important things that you seriously just miss. It's almost like a blind spot because you're so focused on something else. Yeah. What do you say to people that say multitasking is my superpower? Like I hear that a lot. Like, yeah. you know, I, I have to multitask. I just have to, because that's my superpower. I can do all these things at the same time. Well, a, a couple of things. The first thing that I, that I say, and, and I discuss this in the book is that multitasking the word itself is a problem because it's not accurate. That's not what's happening in your brain. If, if you're trying to perform multiple attention requiring tasks, like listen to this podcast while typing an email, I am not doing both at the same time. I'm switching rapidly back and forth. That's why I reframe multitasking as switch tasking, because that's more accurate what's happening. You're just switching between tasks. And when you do that, things take longer, you make more mistakes, and you increase your stress levels. 
There is another alternative that I also talk about called backtasking, and that's short for background tasking, meaning something automatic or uh, mindless occurs in the background. For instance, listening to this podcast while you're exercising on a treadmill. That can be productive because hopefully everybody at this point uh, who's listening to this doesn't need to focus on how they're moving their feet on the treadmill, right? So it can be productive, but the question becomes, are you really backtasking or are you switch tasking? If you are switch tasking, it's always costly. You cannot avoid the cost of things taking longer, making mistakes and increasing stress levels. And so the goal should not be to make multitasking your superpower, but instead to make focusing your superpower. That's really interesting. I never really thought about it as always costing you, but I guess that would be really true. I remember when, uh, uh, when I was working with my mentor years ago, he said, you have to understand something. He said, the brain can't focus on two things at the same time. He said, it can move back and forth so fast that it'll give us the appearance that it can, but really it can only focus on one thing at a time. And I thought that that was fascinating. Now you're bringing into light just how costly that actually is, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I have an exercise in the book. It's one of the most popular things that I do when I do speaking engagements with people. And, and, also, when someone says, I'm good at multitasking, I said, great, let's do this little exercise together. And in about five minutes, rather than just lathering people up with studies and no, it doesn't work and all that stuff, we do a little hands-on thing. And at the end of it, they go, oh my gosh, now I see it. And it's just simply a matter of, so we copy the phrase, multitasking is worse than a lie in one row. And then the row beneath it, we write one, two, three, four, five, all the way to one uh, to 27. Because there are 27 letters in the phrase multitasking is worse than a lie. And we time that. And most people are going to do that in the neighborhood of, uh, you know, 25 seconds or so. But then we do it again, same thing. We're going to recopy the phrase and then we're going to recopy the numbers. But the second time for every letter that we write, we write a number. So we write M, 1, U, 2, L, 3, and so on. And when we do that, it becomes really obvious what switch tasking is costing us. It takes longer. The scores jump, the times jump up to like 50 seconds, 60 seconds. People make more mistakes. They're crossing out numbers. They're writing up, they're writing down. They end up on a number other than 27 and their stress levels, everybody reports how just, just taking this simple activity and introducing switch tasking in, into it, they feel that knot in their chest. And it's the knot in, that everyone is living with right now, not realizing where this stress is coming from. Yeah, I can, I, it's, it's interesting. I didn't do that, that exercise, but I could almost kind of see that exercise in my mind into why that would be. And just you saying it, I could feel the stress in my body by having to go back and forth, trying to remember what letter comes after which, and then the number, it would that would that's a great example that is a fantastic example so what do you what do where do you start with people what do you have them do because i, I would imagine this is like a this is a learned skill yes yeah i i'm a big fan of conditioning uh you know the, the concept of conditioning is something that we really what understand well in sports right when you see a a powerful athlete when you see a michael phelps uh, continually win, that's because he's conditioned himself through the years of behaving in a certain way, moving his hands in a certain way. And I'm, I'm sensitive to swimming right now because my wife's an assistant swim coach and swimming's on the brain with our kids. But <laughs> the way you put your hands, right, the way you lift your elbows, all of that matters. Well, when you're pr- being productive or trying to be productive, what you do with an email matters. 
where you put the ideas that come into your head, where you put a piece of paper, all of these things matter. So what I do is I, I help people learn more productive ways of doing things. And we, we can talk about some of the specifics. Um, but, you know, I have a detailed process that I take people through on my uh, LinkedIn learning course, Time Management Fundamentals. The, um, from a productivity perspective, I know that you said a week that you give people that like another week's worth of time. What other productivity uh, uh, facts do you actually see happen when a person does this? Do you see increase in income revenue? What else? Yeah, definitely an increase in income, increase in possibility of getting promoted or getting a raise. If you're an entrepreneur, the ability to grow your business. Um, and, and part of that is because I also teach that you want to focus your time on your most valuable activities. So if I had you make a list of all the things that you do, not like email and meetings, I'm talking about sales and marketing and training. And we list all those things out and then we assign a dollar value per hour to them based on how much would it cost me to hire someone else to do it, it you'll start to see what, you, what I call the most valuable activities, which are the one or two things that you do that are worth the most per hour. And when you free up lots of time, you can devote, uh, you can start budgeting more time into those most valuable activities. And that has an almost immediate effect in someone's day because most people are spending less than 25% of their day in those most valuable activities. That means that more than 75% of their day is spent doing what? Well, things that are worth less, not worthless, but worth less. And when you do that, you're driving your own value down every single minute that you work. It's just, it's just kind of a simple equation. And it's fascinating how quickly that works. I would also imagine just listening to you talk about how you go about this, that it would have to speed up the time and the efficiency probably in the expertise of somebody learning something, right? I mean, if you're, if you're, especially if you're an entrepreneur and you're learning new skills, new tasks that you're doing, and you're really trying to become proficient at it. And many entrepreneurs in certain areas, they need to become the best at what they're doing. If they're multitasking that cannot condition the brain correctly to be as proficient or as, as well um, uh, trained at it as a person who would be able to really focus in on that activity. Is that correct? Uh, it's a beautiful point, and it, and it highlights a, an issue that I have seen a lot, which is uh, self-improvement junkies. Yeah. And I'm not saying that in a positive way. There are people who really uh, are interested in self-improvement. I think that's a wonderful thing. There's a different group of people that I've come across where they're just jumping from book to book and concept to concept, and it's all just skimming the surface. It's like it, It's like this hope that if I just read more and listen to more, I'm going to grow and gain. When in fact, what really matters is when you listen, pausing, taking a moment to put, take it in, and then scheduling something to do something about it. Because it's the, it's the action that tattoos that learning into your, your life. It makes it a part of who you are. But if you're switch tasking constantly and you're just, you're just skimming the surface by listening to a podcast like this in the background and not taking a moment to write down actions that you're going to take, it's just not having the same level of effectiveness in your life. I have always felt that the, one, of the, one of the problems with our, our learning system, from, from children, by the way, is that we give people the impression that because they remembered something, 
that they know it, they understand it, and it's actually become a skill. When it hasn't, it's it's actually even stored in a different area of the brain. Um, but it's it's interesting because when people take this approach, like where they're self improvement junkies, they think if they if they read enough books or go to enough seminars that they automatically know it, that they've learned the material, and there nothing can be further from the truth. They haven't learned anything. Like you said, it's just all skimming on on the surface. They may have some knowledge of it, but the knowledge is not practical from a use perspective. Correct? Right. It, for me, it all comes down to one word: do. What did you do about what you learned? And part of the issue that people have, especially entrepreneurs, is um, they get they mistake the excitement of of getting getting into something for the actual value of completing that thing. They feel good when they when they learn something new, but what we really want to focus on is how they feel after they do something about that. And that is a shift that it takes some time. It takes some conditioning to say, okay, great. You had this idea, but now what? Where are we going to schedule this? Where do you capture this idea so that you do something about it? And how do we make sure that when we get to that time, you actually follow through and don't procrastinate? Those are simple things that will magnify anything that you're trying to accomplish in your life. Yeah. The other thing that I've noticed over the years is that what you're saying is is so relevant to this, I think. If a person is just remembering information, when it comes to the do perspective, the idea that they've done something is, can they repeat it back to you? If you're learning something, the idea is, did you get a result, right? So there's two different, there's two different outcomes that we're working with, with an individual. And, you know, the satisfaction that we get when we go to school is, oh, could I take the test? can I actually pass this test? Did I remember the information? You know, did I, was I able to re- repeat it back um, in a form that shows that I know it, but in business, it's not just showing that you know it, you have to do it to get a result and the result determines whether or not you know it. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I, I even have a book called the result. <laughs> the result. I love that. Yeah. Is that what that deals with? What's that? Is that it does it deal with that like that idea? Yeah, it, well it deals with specifically the process that someone needs to follow to get the result that they want, really any result that they want. Okay. And there is a formula for it. It's not it's not woo woo stuff. It's just it's math. It's like you know, it's A plus B equals C and for in particular systems plus accountability plus motivation equals the result. And uh, yeah, and when I work with businesses I try to get people to shift their thinking toward the result. What are we measuring? What are we actually getting rather than just how we're feeling about it? Feelings are important, but often they can mislead us into making us feel like things are better than they actually are. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Let me ask you a question to kind of bring this in for a landing a little bit. If If you had one successful mind tip that you could leave our audience, what would be something that they could that they could get something value from right now? Well, I talked about the four, uh, the three effects of switch tasking. Things take longer, you make more mistakes, you increase the stress levels, but there's also a fourth effect. And the fourth effect is what it does to relationships. When you are talking to a human being, you must give them 100% of your attention and focus. Because if you don't, you communicate to them that they're unimportant. And I do an exercise with that where someone talks to someone else while they're getting partial attention. And I say, how how did that make you feel to talk to that person? 
And the one word I hear all the time is unimportant. You cannot afford, in no, no, doesn't matter what you're trying to do, whether your business, we're talking about your family, you cannot afford to have people think that you think they are not important. The good news is if you change your perspective and whenever you, you, you're about to have a conversation with someone, you put that phone as far away from you as you physically can and you give them 100% of your attention, you communicate that they are important. Yeah. And in a world where people are addicted to the myth of multitasking, that's a powerful statement and will help you succeed in every aspect of your life. That's beautiful. I, I couldn't agree more. I absolutely couldn't agree more. And, you know, in business, if, if the customer doesn't think that you care, if the, the, the person that you're networking with does not think that you care, that you're just there for a self-serving reason, you're disengaged, um, not only does, does that not go over well, but because we're, I believe because we're in a world that's starving, people are starving for that kind of attention, that the person that does step up and does it, they get 10 times the results that somebody who doesn't. Because people are going to go where they felt, where they feel validated, where they feel seen, where they feel heard in life. I mean, that's been my experience anyway over 22 years. So thank you for, for saying that. I really appreciate it. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Where can they get this amazing book? Yeah, the book, real easy. If you go to multitaskbook.com, that'll take you right to Amazon where you can get it in different formats. Uh, and my website, I, I have free resources and actually free download of that book. I mentioned the result. You can get that at davecrenshaw.com. Crenshaw is C-R-E-N-S-H-A-W. Fantastic. Dave, thank you so much. It was really a pleasure meeting you, getting to know you. Uh, I hope we can do this again sometime. Let me know if you have new books coming out because I love your stuff. It's fantastic and I really think it's helping people. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, David. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Successful Mind Podcast. And if you like what you heard and you want to know more, go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff.